You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. As a preacher, I'm always most at home when the readings appointed for the day are stories. Stories are what we remember, whether parables or the various events in the life of Jesus or those rich and sometimes very odd stories from the Hebrew Scriptures. Not only do we remember stories, but we can also engage them imaginatively, seeing parts of the human condition so clearly reflected in the characters of any given story. You listen to it and you go, oh, I know why Thomas so desperately needed proof in order to believe. Or, I can see why having all that unquestioned power led King David to imagine he could so casually arrange for his adulterous fling. Or, I totally understand why Mary and Martha were kind of miffed, kind of angry, that Jesus hadn't come quickly, hadn't come in time to heal their brother Lazarus. There's very human textures in the stories, and it's not hard to seat ourselves with those characters. As for even the most familiar of parables, the prodigal son, say, or the Pharisee and the tax collector, they can often bear new fruit, even after countless readings. So I'm in agreement with the theologian Stanley Hauerwas, who says that the church is a story-formed community. A story-formed community. And although they aren't the only stories we tell, our first stories are the biblical ones. But we don't have a story tonight. We have a, a piece from the closing section of the first epistle of John and a piece of the chapter-length prayer that Jesus offers in the gospel according to John right before he leaves with his disciples to go into the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his arrest in the upper room, in other words. That chapter-length prayer is sometimes called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's pretty dense stuff. It's a very dense chapter. It's really quite unlike the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when they said, teach us to pray, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Such a compact, point-by-point, simple prayer. But not John 17. N.T. Wright says that this very long prayer captured in John's Gospel has a texture, quote, so rich that we may choke on it unless we chew slowly. So rich, we might choke on it unless we chew slowly, which I think is a really apt way to describe the prayer. Well, you know, one of the people who has chewed slowly on this text is Steve Bell, 
whose song, This Is Love, from his 1997 album, Romantics and Mystics, is an improvisational take on John 17. Now, in the podcast version of this sermon, we will include the recording of the song from Romantics and Mystics at the end of the sermon. Uh, And thanks to Steve for giving us carte blanche permission to use his music in our podcasts. But this is how the song opens. Father, just before the hour comes that was set aside to glorify your Son with a glory from before the world began, with a glory given to no other man, protect the ones you've given me to love. I so desire that none of them be lost. They've yet to understand the mystery why the Son of God would wash another's feet. But this is not the same. It's a different thing altogether. This is not the same. It's a different thing altogether. This is love. Well, I I well remember the first time I heard Steve sing this song. It was in the autumn of 1997. I was the chaplain at St. John's College at the University of Manitoba, and I'd managed to arrange to have Robert Ferrer Capon come to deliver two lectures, one in the evening sort of targeted at a wider diocesan audience, but one in the college cafe in the early afternoon, really with students from the U of M campus in mind. But Robert was not particularly widely known in the university context. And so I had Steve come and do a 20-minute set to open the event, knowing that he would be a draw for a bit of an audience. There were about 125 people who came and crowded into the little cafe and listened to Steve's music and listened, listened to Robert's lecture. But Steve ended that brief set with the song, This is Love. As the song moved to its close, it it was these words that kind of knocked me out. Here's something that they won't like. They, meaning the disciples, who at this point in the gospel are still trying to get their heads wrapped around what kind of a kingdom it is that Jesus is inaugurating. Here's something that they won't like. Someone's coming to take the life. No one has to look farther than me. I am he. Some will trust in the things that they know. They should think again and let them go. Put away the sword and get behind and let me die. And then back to the chorus with, because this is not the same. It's a different thing. Altogether. This is not the same. It's a better thing. Altogether. This is love. Yet for whom is this love expressed? Well, the text and the setting of Jesus' prayer in John's Gospel has the disciples most clearly in view. They are 
right there present in the room. They are disciples said to be in the world, even when Jesus himself is leaving it. At first glance, as you read the prayer, it might seem like the world is little more than a brutally hostile place. The world has hated them, Jesus says, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. That can create an almost Gnostic tension that says that the world, matter, physical bodies, are somehow inherently corrupt, leaving only the spiritual to be good or redeemable. That, however, is not a fair reading of the worldview in play in the New Testament, nor in the Gospel according to John. Here, N.T. Wright comments, the world, remember, in this Gospel, doesn't mean simply the physical universe as we know it. It means the world insofar as it has rebelled against God, has chosen darkness rather than light, and has organized itself to oppose the Creator. Seen from within that world, Jesus is from elsewhere. And so too we now discover to our surprise are the disciples. So as the word the world is used here in this prayer, Jesus isn't slamming the created world, but rather that part of our world that is in a kind of a rebellion. Those disciples aren't determined or shaped by rebellion against how things were intended to be. They aren't shaped by the things that in the fourth century Evagrius, church father, identified as the things to be overcome, the things to be wrestled down. And he named pride and greed and wrath and envy and lust and gluttony and sloth. They aren't shaped, in other words, by that which turns us in toward ourselves in a kind of a wrong-headed, self-centered way but rather they are beginning to be shaped by that which gives life, outward-looking, love in short, the kind of love that stoops to wash another's feet. But is that love reserved only for the disciples and for those who will learn from them and in turn begin to rise above or work through self-centeredness and rebellion toward that greater love? Is love reserved or merited, in short, for just the small few on the inside? Maybe parceled out only to those whom God has selected as being good potential recipients, able to transcend the brokenness of the world? No. No. And that's clear if this long prayer from John 17 is set in the context of the grand sweep of John's whole gospel narrative. 
A narrative that begins with the great proclamation that the Word has become flesh and dwelt among us, or in the translation of Eugene Peterson, the Word, the Christ, has become flesh, God has become human and moved into the neighborhood. Steve, in his song, has set the long prayer in the context of that grand sweep of the gospel. And it's something that Maida Stamper insists is crucial to understanding the prayer of John 17. After reminding the reader that one should not dismiss this gospel's most famous verse, John 3:16, for God so loved the world, Stamper comments, if the broken world, the broken world isn't the one that is so beloved, then the lifting up of the sun makes no sense. Jesus need not die if he is only in the world for the sake of the people who like him. And Jesus' own people will not be in danger if they are to bear fruit in happy isolation. The reason that they are mirroring the union of Father and Son and carrying the love of God and Jesus for them into the world that doesn't know God is precisely that God loves that world and wants it to know that love. Perhaps after that quick passing reference to John 3.16, I do well to close with John 3.17. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Even in its brokenness and its rebellion and its lostness and its violence and its sense of futility, God wants to save the world through him. This is love. It's a long, slow, sometimes agonizingly frustrating process. But this is love. It really is. And I suppose that's a kind of a story too. So that's my story for this night, the final Sunday in the long season of Eastertide. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Father, just before the hour comes That was set aside to glorify your Son With the glory from before the world began the glory given to no other man Protect the ones you've given me to love I so desire that none of them be lost They've yet to understand the mystery Why the Son of God would wash another's feet this is not the same It's a different thing 
This is love. This is love. 